0: All right, many of you are going to hear that theme. You know what's coming up next. We've received a number of emails and comments. People are excited about Kevin joining us on the show today. Kevin Sorbo has enjoyed success in television for over 20 consecutive years, a feat rarely accomplished by an actor. And as of late, there's something going on, a little thing called Soul Surfer that he's uh, appeared in. This stars Helen Hunt, Dennis Quaid, Carrie Underwood, and it's based on a true life story. October 31st, 2003, teen surfer Bethany Hamilton lay on her board in Placid Waters just off of Kauai Beach. And from out of nowhere, a 14-foot tiger shark attacked. Uh, taking off Bethany's arm at the shoulder and setting in motion events that would test the the strong Christian faith of Bethany and her family and ultimately reveal God's purpose for her life. So this movie is going to be released up here in Canada around April 8th, I believe. There's a book out. You can go to soulsurferwave.com. Kevin Sorbo is who is joining us right now. You guys know him. You know him. It's this guy. Hercules. Yes, Hercules. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Murphy, for that. Kevin, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate your time.
1: My pleasure. But, you know, I, I am very proud of the seven-year run on Hercules. I'm going to brag it up a little bit. It was the most watched show in the world. But you've got to give a little kudos to my little show, Andromeda, which ran five years And it was shot in Vancouver, and it was the number one first-run syndicated show in America. So, you know, I'm a big Gene Roddenberry fan, and he created that show after Star Trek. So I'm not going to let you not mention Andromeda. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, you're right. It it certainly wouldn't have happened. The research that I've done on you, I've come to this conclusion. You are one of the hardest-working guys in the business. I mean, for you to move down there, 13-hour days, work out a couple hours, how many years were you away from your family? I mean, you put a lot of effort in, man.
1: It was, you know... I love the show. I mean, when I first went down to New Zealand where we shot it, it was going to be a five two-hour movies. And I know I got the you know opportunity of a lifetime, as far as I'm concerned, as an actor, to work with Anthony Quinn. He played Zeus. But I knew by the second movie, I just knew it, that they're going to make it a one-hour series. I just felt the, the cadence of the show and the feel of the show started kind of settling into itself. And I said, you know, this is going to be a funny show and people will enjoy this. And sure enough, by the end of the second movie, they told me, if we're going to make it a series.
0: All right, let's get all chronological. Growing up in the home of Tonka Toys, Mound, Minnesota, go Mohawks. Uh, I know you played a lot of football and basketball and a ton of golf, barefoot even, but did you ever play that much hockey? I did. I enjoyed hockey.
1: We lived on a lake, as everybody does in Minnesota, because we've got well over 10,000 of them. So yep. um, I, I, I loved and enjoyed it, but I tell you what, I hated cold weather. So <laughs> no. I touched the winters. I locked myself in and became a gym rat, and uh, quite frankly, I was a pretty good three-point three shooter. So that's kind of where I, I, I hung myself. Even you know, I'm telling Hercules, I got that series. I was playing in three city leagues in Los Angeles.
0: Nice, nice. Well, okay, you can't like or you can't hate cold weather that much because, uh, well, maybe you do actually. Because I heard through the grapevine recently that you really suck at snowboarding. <laughs> well, I've never done it. Before. I did it at Sundance for
1: the first time in my life, and yeah, I do suck at it, but I'm a good skier. Yeah, but like like, like
0: smash your glass case kind of suck, right? How do you hear that? How do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you even gave up the Bob Hope Classic this year for that. I don't understand that doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't you stay in the warm neck of the woods, swing the clubs instead of well, dropping know, it on your I, carcass? I, I love Park
1: City and I you know I have a great time at the Sundance Film Festival and I I, I do want to get my two weeks of skiing in every year. I mean I, I love the snow I just don't want five months of it anymore.
0: Exactly. Well, I feel the same way, of course, being from Toronto. Number four of five kids, mom's a nurse, dad's a teacher, biology, math, something like that, smart guy. What kind of Mustang did you drive uh, to the A&W in? I don't know how the heck you get this information, but I had a powder blue
1: 1967 Mustang that I bought with my paper out money. I had a paper out since I was uh, eight years old. And I did that for seven years, and every penny I earned, uh, by the time I got my license, I went out and bought myself a little Mustang.
0: That's sweet, man. That is very sweet. Well, you've come a long way from installing, like, 3,000 rivets a night at the Tonka factory.
1: (laughs) But, you know, quite frankly, I only lasted about three weeks of that job. I told my dad, I said, there's no way I can do this job. There's just no way. So I ended up working out the golf course with my dad, which was far more enjoyable to me.
0: Heck, yeah. Okay, 16 credits left to finish your double major marketing advertising. You drop out and head to Dallas probably all those years beating a snot out of each other on that hill in the front yard of your home your family home prepared you for the role are you, are you my neighbor <laughs> <laughs> prepared you for that role of bouncer at confettis in dallas like that really come on
1: well come on i had i had old two older brothers and i had a neighborhood filled with about 25 kids five years either side so was, between all the sports we had to play you had if you if you did not Put up a fight, you might as well be, you know, its you're, you're going to be the, the last dog to eat. Trust
0: yeah. Me. You know, people think you're such as this perfect specimen of a man, but most people don't know that you're actually a flawed specimen. I want you to tell everyone the, the story behind the scar in your left hand. Killer story.
1: Oh, jeez. it's scary how you get these things. Um, I was at, uh, I was a bouncer at a club in Dallas, Texas called Confetti's. It was like the hottest club in town. Your lines would go forever and ever and ever on the building people would get in and uh, just be packed with people and there was a, a woman who decided to uh, overdo it just a bit and she started stripping and she was quite naked and the managers told me to go please remove her and I knew that once I start that way people are going to boo me which they did and I, I, I grabbed her by one hand and I said come on honey we got to go and I turned around I heard a smash and I, as I turned back to her this um, broken beer bottle is coming straight at my face and I put my hand up to catch it right in, they're right in my my uh, my hand which received a few stitches and uh yeah i I, I I hit the girl. I didn't mean to. It was a, a knee jerk
0: reaction. <laughs> Hold on! You didn't just hit her. You smoked her with your flashlight. You're mad I, or I whatever a, it was. I had a
1: flashlight. I had a flashlight in the other hand because I was outside checking IDs. It was like you know one o'clock in the morning, and I had a knee jerk reaction, and the flashlight just went up, and I broke her jaw, and I broke a flashlight. But I, you know, she sued the club, but of course it her right away because there was like two thousand witnesses saying, "Well, she did come at him with it, You know, she was trying to kill the guy. Yeah, so
0: yeah,
1: it, I, I felt horrible.
0: I really did. But it was. It was a total reflex. What I'm trying to establish is that violence has been a part of your life for a very, very long time. All right, so you and I, you and I have something rather bizarre in common. I think it was around the sixth grade that my parents took me to New York to see Oklahoma. And that might have put the bug in me for the entertainment business. Now, we also saw Mousetrap, which scared the crap out of me because it was like a murder right in front of me at the theater, but... Oklahoma, right? That was kind of a turning point you
1: for know, you. I, I, st- I saw Oklahoma. It was a school play, and I was in, only in grade school, and uh, that was that was one of the turning points. The major turning point was uh, I went to the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. That's a well known uh, in the theatrical world, actually. It's a well known theater, and I saw The Merchant of Venice, a Shakespeare right. play. I, I, I know I didn't understand ninety percent of the stuff they were saying up there, but I was blown away by the whole actor thing on stage. And I told my parents I'm going to be an actor, and my mom put a hand on my knee and she said that's nice dear that's nice so i think they didn't believe it was going to actually
0: come true uh now the other thing we have in common is uh sure i think about my hair but that's not all i think about
1: so you use bird Plus shampoo
0: no i have no hair anymore (laughs) i don't think about my hair at all i'm gone
1: Um, i did a lot of commercials i was very fortunate to do that because it paid for my acting classes
0: i also had the privilege of working with tia carrera as as you did as well i didn't actually work with her i I was sort of a last-minute guy brought in because the real stunt guy couldn't show up, and I was the only one that fit his wardrobe.
1: That's right. She shot her series in Toronto, didn't she?
0: Well, yeah, but I was in this horrible, horrible movie with Dean Cain and Tia Carrera called Dog Boys. and um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just sort of sat at the same lunch table as her. That's about it. Look at this
1: one degree of separation we have. Oh. Dean Cain and I were down the last two guys for the part on Lois and Clark. That's right. beat me out for
0: it. That's right. And eventually, one of us will run into Kevin Bacon, so...
1: And I, I have run them <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i know you probably get asked all the time about the best way to get into the biz and I'm, I'm sure that someone out there has been able to perfect sort of the kevin sorbo path to fame right i think it goes like this become a model in dallas get your sag card get your butt to minneapolis the home of more corporate head offices in most american cities like target start doing commercials put together a killer commercial reel move to la uh, book your first commercial within three days right isn't that the mm. secret it's kind
1: of the secret It's very easy and then, and then, shoot the commercial in Australia. Decide you want to stay there for half a year before yeah. you go back to pursue the acting
0: career. Right. Yeah. What part of Sydney were you uh, staying in?
1: I live in Bondi Beach. Ah, oh, beautiful. 2000 Olympics where they had the uh, the the beach, beach volleyball.
0: volleyball. Yeah, I was there for that beach volleyball.
1: Very cool. That's a nice spot.
0: I lived in Australia for five years, uh, up in the Blue Mountains oh, in Glenbrook.
1: Wow! Yeah, I got up to the Blue Mountains a couple times. Shot a commercial up that way, and the uh, Whale Beach up that way, I oh. think, as well. Beautiful beach.
0: Yeah. Now, so now I understand why you did the movie with the Wog Boys.
1: Ah, uh, that's the the connection Yes, I was the king of Mykonos. It was uh we shot in uh, we shot in we shot in Mykonos for a couple months last year, a uh, year and a half It was last year, yeah. I had a good time doing that.
0: I uh, did a bunch of commercials down there, did some plays I think. Uh also yep. um I seem to remember again with the long hair stuff, Avalon. I remember seeing that when I was living there. They're still running it, uh and I I can imagine that the those Swedish au pair roommates uh, loved Kip Kane. <laughs>
1: How do you know all this stuff? It's unbelievable. Kip, I haven't put my book out yet.
0: Kip, no, just let me know. Let me know when you're ready. Kip Kane. I mean, that was uh, that was some kind of sexy man. I'm telling you. <laughs> So six years later, around 93, your agent calls and says, "If I got a part for you? And I guess, what, seven editions later, Hercules. Uh, they told you on your birthday, which is pretty cool. But, when but, I, I was in
1: Vancouver, I was up in Canada, Canada land there, Canuckville, Yeah. and I got and I was shooting Michael Chiklis's show, The Commish. Right. I got the part. I walked out on the set, and I said, Chiklis, I'm not going to take any more crap from you. I am now half God. <laughs>
0: Okay, then after seven years filming one of the most beautiful locations in the world, New Zealand, I mean, just fantastic, uh, you you land this five-year run with Andromeda. Can you give me one word to describe Gene Roddenberry? Yep. Really?
1: Sure. Well, he's dead now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you can't say that.
1: I never oh. met the guy. So, you know, I met I met Majel, his widow, that brought that series to me.
0: So, but but uh, for all the people, all the stuff, I mean, because he wrote that like 30 years earlier, right after, on the, he wrote on the heels it, he of Star wrote Trek. It in,
1: he wrote it in 1969 when Star Trek finished. They did the pilot with John Saxon playing my character, Captain Dylan Hunt. And then nobody picked it up because they still thought, at that time, they thought that Star Trek was a failure. Man.
0: You had to uh, beef up for Hercules, right? You got up to what two thirty-five? I think. I did. I did. I on. That was the weight
1: I had when I was playing sports in college, and I was down about two, a little over two twenty, when I got the part. So I had a, I had a little bit of time to uh, work out with this, with this trainer, and also one of Bruce Lee's original students who taught me a lot of, you know, weapon work and, you know, f- basically learning how to fight with anything and everything. So it was a good, good workout before I started the series.
0: Did the vast majority of your own stunts?
1: I did, which was stupid because I'm painful. <laughs> down, so.
0: And what are you down to now? What are you about two fifteen now?
1: Two fifteen, yes. I think I think it's kind of scary. You have a camera in my be- my be- bathroom, I think, don't you?
0: You know, it's interesting the uh, governor connection. You know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger connection because uh, he was pretty much the other Hercules. But uh, didn't he present you with the award for the best after-school program in the state of California?
1: He did, three years ago. I have an after-school program I've been doing for 14 years, and he gave us a very nice award, and we worked very hard on the, on the, on the program. We worked with a lot of kids, over 12,000 kids.
0: Good for you, man. Good for you. Didn't you play his father in the prequel to Conan?
1: I was Cole. I was his dad, yes.
0: You know, he's only 5'11", and he got a lot of parts. Uh, you are 6'3"-ish? Yeah, maybe a little, a little more. But I say six three to make it sound shorter. <laughs> but I mean, you didn't get a lot of parts because you were too tall. Is that right? Oh yeah, you lose a lot of yeah. Because there's
1: no question about that. Uh, I mean, most of the actors in Hollywood, especially the males, are in that five five to five ten range. So a lot of them don't want to stand next to me. So. Man.
0: So, well, speaking of not getting parts, Walking Tall, The Rock. My son is a huge fan of The Rock. Uh, he likes him more. Then he likes me now actually. uh... my son. So I'd like to I know I know Dwayne
1: well. We work out the same gym.
0: Okay, so I need you to hook a brother up, right? Can you give me some inside dirt on the rock which will help me get my ranking back with my son? I don't know if I can. He's a good guy. Man. So, sorry. Man, no help at all. Meet the Spartans, spoof on three hundred. Uh give me one behind the scenes moment where you guys just lost it.
1: Uh the first time we had to hold hands and skip to Gloria Gaynors, I will survive. <laughs> it was difficult it was difficult to actually get a take
0: (laughs) that's pretty funny 300 hours of television about 30 movies what's been the cost
1: Um, well I'm still married so I haven't haven't lost that one yet so um, let's see you know to me it's all been worth it I've had a a great ride I can't complain I've got about 7 more movies coming out this year one just came out in DVD called What If. It's a wonderful, wonderful family movie. People, it, it stayed in theaters for about five months here in the States. And um, I know it's not all Walmart's Walmarts here, but I, I, was, I was told up there to just go to uh, Amazon.com or TheWhatIfMovie.com. People can check it out. I won an award for the best performance, the best inspirational performance of 2010. Nice. And... Um, so it was kind of nice. It's a very nice movie, and, and of course, Soul Surfer is coming up uh, April 8. Uh,
0: Ratz told me today that he drove you nuts with his bagpipe music.
1: <laughs> Did you talk to him today?
0: Yeah, he sent me a little email and said uh, said something about oh, the bagpipe that's music.
1: Too funny, yes, because he drove. We shot for we shot most of it in, in northern Michigan, and then we shot a couple of days in Grand Rapids, and it was like a three hour back drive back. And he puts on he puts on bagpipe music. I said, what the hell is this? You know? <laughs> Because, like uh, I got tell you nami this is good stuff you gotta listen to it you know <laughs> yeah.
0: john ratzenberger one of the one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet uh seriously great guy great yeah. guy by the way uh do you have a production company i
1: do it's called touchwood productions yes.
0: How, how's it going
1: you know i, I formed it three years ago I'm probably at the worst possible time with the economy and everything <laughs> but but you know we, we're it's going pretty well and uh i've got two movies that i'm shooting that were being produced through it this year okay.
0: um so we're, we're, it's exciting. Good, Fine. good, good. One of the things that drives me nuts, uh, Kevin, completely mental, actually, is this attitude of entitlement, especially with uh, with the young kids these days, uh, my own kids included. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, thank God you and I had paper routes when we were young. I had a few meetings down in L.A. a few weeks ago about the subject of the next generation. Well, sorry, the meetings weren't about that, but the next generation came up as a subject. Kept coming up. We talked about how America now has the most confident kids, but also the most ignorant and uh, and I'm and the saying, most
1: uneducated. We're very proud.
0: Yeah, very proud. Yeah, and my feeling is, I don't know. I kind of think that our kids haven't been allowed to fail, right? They don't. Uh, they don't really we, know what we f-
1: have got. We've gotten to level, especially in America, that we we celebrate mediocrity. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous.
0: So they it's don't. They don't know that failure isn't failure. It's an invaluable yeah. lesson, right? So hey, they will learn
1: when they will. They will learn when they get out of. Get out of school, and they'll be shocked that they just can't walk around and just get something handed to them without actually working for it.
0: Right, right. So when I talk to successful people, it's interesting how many of them talk about the time they failed turned into a, a teachable moment. Yes. So having said oh, all my- that, I want to know about your failures, right? Oh, great and successful Hercules. I want to know about your failures. I mean, aside, oh, I think- aside from doing an, an edible underwear commercial... Or having two lines in Dallas end up on the on the on the cutting room floor, or or Doctor Thaddeus Korchinski, or not getting Lois and Clark. Give me give me some failures. <laughs>
1: you just listed quite a few. <laughs> um, you know, I'm am a 13 year overnight success. How about that? You know, so it comes down to a lot of doors being slammed in your face. But I think you got to use the, the negative and the and the, the word no as a positive and all the all the rejection and all the, I think you just got to use it just to say, you know what, I don't care what they say, I'm going to make it. And that's yeah. what I did. I used all the negativity in my life as a, as a fuel for the fire, so to speak.
0: You got to tell us the Costner story.
1: Um, well, I, I was in an acting class, uh, Richard Brander's acting class in, the, in Studio City in the Valley. And a uh, good teacher out there for a couple of years. And he used to be the uh, acting coach of Kevin Costner. And Kevin was uh, in town filming The Bodyguard. And he came uh, he came to talk to the class one night. So the first thing he says when he walks up, he had all of his classes were in there, so it was kind of a pretty packed. Normally it was you know, 20 students this time. You know, it's about 80 crammed in there. And he gets up there and looks at all of us. He says, I'm, I'm here to tell you that none of you will have any success in Hollywood. That all of you will fail. <laughs> and uh, you can see people just look around and look at each other. Say, what's he says, what's he saying? I walked up to him after, you know, it's an hour and a half of Q&A, and I walked up to him. I said, Mr. Costner, I know exactly what you meant when you said that. But i got to tell you, you're wrong, because I will have success in this town. And he kind of looked at me gave him a little, that little smile he gives in all his movies. And he said, oh, okay. And you know, he flash forward to seven years later. Now Hercules has been on the air for like four years. We had passed Baywatch as the most-watched show in the world. I get invited to his golf tournament out in Monte Carlo. And uh, so I get there. I'm on the driving, driving range. He now knows me as Kevin Silver, so the guy who plays Hercules. And he walks up and says, hey, Kevin uh thank you for coming out you know blah 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 so i tell him that story about coming into that class and i said yeah and i walked up to you and he looks at me before i finished it he said that was you i said that was me he said well i guess you proved me proved wrong, me wrong.
0: Nice. <laughs> nice that's a killer it was, uh, was
1: kind of neat to go around round, round robin like that it was interesting
0: fantastic kevin sorbo on the line with us folks uh, you know him as hercules but he's a, heck of a lot more than that the coffin when are we going to see that
1: you know, I don't know. I know I, the final cut is going to be the end of next month. I've got another movie called um, Avarice, and the final cut in that is coming up soon as well. So like I said, there's, there, i got The Coffin, uh, Avarice. I've got uh, FBR, American Badass. And I've got Pool Boy, Drowning Up the Fury, which are both very much like David Ducker, Naked Gun-type movies. They're, they're coming out, who knows, hopefully in, in, in the next year or so. Man. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of visual effects in them as well. And, but yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of them. of down the pipe. I, I shot a lot the last three years.
0: Okay, uh, I want you to pay attention real closely to this question. Okay. I'm nobody. Who are you? Is the beginning <laughs> of a poem written by whom? Oh my
1: lord! That was a question that was asked on. I was on Celebrity um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and that was a question that was asked when I was going for the two hundred fifty thousand um, dollar. Prize, and I still, had, I still had two lifelines left, and I was going to go, I'm going to go 50-50, or it was, female, it was female poets I had up there. And I had two in mind that it could be, and of course, when they did the 50-50, they left those two. Yeah. So, so then I called I called my lifeline for the uh, Michael Hurst, who played is who, who like, is Mr., he knows everything, and he does. I mean, I've never met a guy that knows more things about great things than things that make no sense. And so I asked him who it was, and I said it's between Sylvia Plath and uh, Emily Dickinson. And he said, well, it's got to be Sylvia Plath. And that's why I thought it was, too, because, you know, she committed suicide. She was a pretty depressed person.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: we were wrong, and I lost all that money from my foundation, so I felt really great.
0: Yeah, thanks for bringing it up, Drew. Okay, I got yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it was, it was funny to see the rest of the gang there. It was Martin Short, George Costanza, uh, Chevy Chase, Ben Stiller. Uh, yeah, C- it was and uh, who was it? Was it CCH Pounder? Was she there as well? Uh, No.
1: It was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, uh, Kelly Ripa was there. But
0: well, who was the black woman?
1: Uh, oh, that was um, uh, Alpha Woodward.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. Fun. It was fun. I had a great time. Great time doing it.
0: Okay. Uh, also, Sam was there as well. I think back in those days, uh, she was expecting baby boy, and you'd been married three uh, years.
1: Now we got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. Yeah, he's, that's my nine-year-old, that's what he is now, yeah. So nine, six, and five, so i got three of them now. I got, I've got to play zone
0: defense on my house. <laughs> Soul Surfer is the inspiring true story of teen surfer Bethany Hamilton who lost her arm in a shark attack who courageously overcame all odds to become a champion again, inspiring millions worldwide through the love of her family, her sheer determination, and her unwavering faith in Jesus. The film features an all star cast, including Anna Sophia Robb, Helen Hunt, Carrie Underwood. Might I just say Helen looks prettier now than she ever has. Carrie Underwood and Dennis Quaid and this man, Kevin Sorbo. You must have had some some flashbacks to Australia with all those beaches you were hanging out uh, at over in Hawaii. That must have been a blast to shoot.
1: It was. I mean really Anna Sophia Robb it's really she's one who plays Bethany and she did a great job. It was it was her movie more than anybody, so Dennis Niles had three days off a week. We were there for two months, so we just golfed a lot together while we were there. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but it was it was you know tough duty for two months, right? Stuck in north North Shore of Oahu. So.
0: Yeah, feel bad for you. It's like praying for missionaries in in Hawaii. You know, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's true. Well, it's going to release across Canada here uh, April 8th. And the interesting thing in my hometown, there was a a lady kind of hit the news all around Canada. She was just attacked in Mexico by a shark uh, and lost her arm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, bizarre, these sort of shark attacks. Um, and I guess you were playing the role of the guy that pulled her out of the water and tied the tourniquet on her arm, correct?
1: I played Hope Lanchard, yes. Dennis Quaid and Helen Hunt play the, the parents of, of Bethany, and I play their best friend, who's my, my daughter, and uh, Bethany are best, best friends. And so we were out in the water together, and I got a whole story. He told me the whole story when I was there. It was just unbelievable. They were four hundred yards out. They weren't like close to shore. There were four football fields out in the ocean. Wow when it happened so uh, I was lucky enough to uh, you know meet him and hear his story and uh, it was kind of scary because we went to the north shore of Kauai where it happened for four days. It went out in that water, and I realized every time you go in the water anywhere' there's a shark attack. But when you're doing a movie about a shark attack, you go to the same, same spot it happened. <laughs> Trust me. I was looking around the water quite a bit. Oh man, a little nerve wracking.
0: I remember uh, when I was living in Australia, I'd watch Channel Seven News. The traffic chopper would be uh, doing something funny one day, and they, kids, uh, oh, we got a big traffic jam here, folks. And they'd uh, have the camera on top of the surfers at Bondi, and they'd kind of zoom in, and then they go and have a look underneath them, and you'd see these sharks swimming around underneath the uh, surfers. A little uh, weird. Yeah,
1: yeah. My my first week when I decided to stay there after the commercial was done, so I was at this point I was down there about three weeks, there was a uh, 15-year-old that was killed on Bondi Beach from a shark. Okay. I said, okay, I'll just run the shoreline. I won't be swimming in that. Yeah,
0: I, and I thought the blue bottles were bad, but it's the sharks you got to worry about. <laughs> it's bad, the blue bottles. <laughs> I hate those things, seriously. Anyway, okay, listen, the God stuff. You grew up uh, with the, what, the Lutheran church or something like that with the folks going to church? I did. I did, yep.
1: Very strict. Very strict religious upbringing in, in at my particular Lutheran church. Yes. <laughs> yes. I remember I remember Pastor Sanders. Everything was fire and brimstone. And I was about maybe ten or eleven years old, and we were driving home after one of the servers, I looked at my mom and I said, "I don't think God's that pissed. Is he, is he really that mad?" About that? <laughs> you know? I, think, I think I think he's a little more forgiving than that. But yeah. if you do notice in the Old Testament. He's pretty mad, but see, he became a father in the New Testament, and he mellowed out a little
0: bit. Oh, nice, so, nice, nice. Every time you have a kid, you know, it's
1: a whole new a whole that's new true. That's July. true. By the time you're fourth,
0: third kid, third or fourth kid rolls around, you're like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> um, okay, so so when did I mean? With a lot of people who grow up with the sort of the strict church scene, they go through some rebellious years, and maybe or maybe not uh, return to their faith. What was your journey? Is it similar to that? You know,
1: I never really turned away from it. I've always had a belief. There's no question, you know. But, uh, I think, I think, um, in, in seventh grade for me, I, I got to meet the Reverend Billy Graham, which was kind of cool. Really? You know, so it was a very, some moment that all kind of sticks in sticks in my mind, you know. And he was a very powerful speaker and still is. But, I mean, it was just, you know, it was right in the middle of his heyday there in the seventies. And it was, uh, it was interesting. It was, it was kind of a neat thing for a seventh grade kid to experience.
0: So, are you telling me that you never had the wilderness experience where you wandered away from uh, from your faith and decided to be now, a re- rebellious little jerk? Well, I think I've, I think
1: I've just had my my certainly my, my quality time of being a jerk in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but, I've always, but I've always carried my faith with me. I've always been a believer. I never stopped believing in God or, or anything like that. But it's just uh, you know you, you go through you at the college and you experiment and things a little bit. But I was still, yeah. I was, Maybe ask for forgiveness more, but you know, I was still a pretty good kid.
0: Look, you never—and thank God—you never ended up on YouTube drunk while eating a hamburger. No, I didn't. Do, I didn't do the David Hasselhoff. So I didn't.
1: I didn't have my kids tape me as I was getting smashed and eating burgers.
0: So what? <laughs> Stay away from that. What do you attribute all that to? I mean, the faint Like one of the things I got to figure out is, you know, when the when the big uh, Hercules fame hit, you were right. living somewhere else, so you weren't kind of. Immersed in that goofiness until you came back for visits or whatever, right? So, do you think? That...
1: No, but it was it was kind of killing me a little bit because you know I was seven thousand miles away from Los Angeles when Hercules became a big hit. I started getting invited every premiere. Heck, even Hugh hefter invited me to all the mansion parties, and I couldn't go. Oh, I was, it was, it was, it was, so I felt like I'm missing out. But at the same time, I I, I know it played a big part in keeping my focus on what uh, you know the the show, and I was there because there was no other distractions for me.
0: Right. Well, speaking of distractions, three months shy of 38, you pretty much gave up on marriage, and then you found love.
1: You know, these things kind of happen, you know. And I, I, the only reason why I wanted to ever get married is to have kids anyway, but I was I was having too good a time being single, and uh, I sort of locked into that. But, yeah, I, my, my wife-to-be came down to guest on Hercules. Every two weeks, they sent on a pretty beautiful lady to be my guest star so it wasn't a bad you know potential you know sort of dating dating gig for me <laughs> and, and that's how i met my wife
0: and at the end of two weeks it's oh i'm sorry you have to go oh that's too bad you know
1: uh, you know i i i, I hit it on it right away I, I had all my lines pretty well honed by then you know so it, yeah she looked at me and she said look i don't date guys along here and i certainly don't date actors i looked at her and I said well I'm making pretty good living with his long hair right now. You might
0: not want to rethink, you might want to that. Re- rethink that. Well, so, yeah, because it's not every day a Ford model walks in. Who, by the way, you killed off on the show. Well, I, it wasn't my job.
1: Yeah, Okay. It, it was the studio's decision.
0: But eventually she she let you marry her in front of uh, 28 people in the dog.
1: It was a very, very, very quiet, quiet uh, reception in the Pacific Palisades, yes. Uh, i, I got to tell you, I'm very impressed with the amount of information you have on my life. It's, a, it's kind
0: of scary. It's a tad creepy. I know. I know. Actually, I did this to someone the other day, kind of person to person, in in front of them, and they—I uh, saw the look of panic on their face. It was—it was, yeah. like, was a lot of fun. <laughs> so apparently, God doesn't speak to me. I've been doing the Jesus thing for thirty years, and God does not speak to me. But God speaks to you through blood clots, aneurysms, and uh, almost dying in the hospital.
1: Uh, yeah, that happened between seasons five and six on Hercules. It was—it was, uh, it was a, a bad experience. It wasn't fun. And actually, I'm writing a book. It comes out we will have to do this interview in, in October, October fifteenth. I have a book coming out called True Strength, which deals with that quite a bit.
0: But was it was it really the wake up call that we imagine it to be? Because you know, when that kind of crap happens to somebody, yeah, we well, we either go one way or the other. We either go screw this. I need to party harder, or we go all right. Hold on a second. I need to maybe surrender to the Creator.
1: Uh, that certainly uh, was a big part there was i'm sure there was a lot of there was a lot of anger there was a lot of frustration there was a lot of i mean i had to pull out of the movie i was i was pretty pretty sick the studio held it quiet for a long time because they wanted to finish their last two years on hercules they had a lot of money invested in it and uh, tied up in the number of episodes they wanted to get made so they rode around me for a while until i could get back on my feet wow
0: well listen you are a fascinating guy. And you definitely married up. Thanks. I wonder what. Oh role... yeah. I definitely yeah. married up. I know that. Well, there's no, there's no question there. With me, my wife uh, is a stabilizing factor for me. She's the keel, right? And I wonder yeah. if your wife plays that same role for you.
1: She is a disciplinarian in the family. She's the tough one. She's a New Yorker. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that just you know spoils the kids rotten. Where so that's the balance. That's the Lieberman balance because we're both Lieberman.
0: And where's she at with the God stuff? Are you guys on the same page spiritually? Because oh be yeah. A...
1: More so, she's probably more so than me. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. She she wrote a book. She wrote a book that's called uh, The Answer that uh, is going to be published before the years out, and it's proving the existence of God. And she did uh, about three years of studying everything. It's a pretty interesting, in, in, interesting write interesting
0: did. Wow, as someone going through a crisis of faith, maybe I should read this book. Maybe you should. That's pretty. Well,
1: uh, have to, we'll have to get you a copy.
0: Yeah, I would appreciate that actually. Hey, uh, you guys had a lot of fun at American Idol finale. We
1: did, how do you know I was there?
0: <laughs> well, you weren't split... Are, are you my manager,
1: speaking in a different voice? <laughs> hey, Kevin,
0: I, look, I appreciate the fun. It's been a blast. Uh, do me a favor, say hello to Rex. Yeah. Let's say hello to Rex for me. Give him a little pen. I will,
1: and you know about Rex. Now it's really scary. You have cameras in my home that I have no idea, but you guys are putting together a reality show, and I definitely want to cut... If you give me Gene Simmons' salary, I'll be pretty happy
0: with Yeah, that. I know. I'm sure you would. Hey, it's been a blast, Kevin. I really appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Kevin Sorbro on the Drew Marshall Show. you got to get to this movie, folks. It's called Soul Surfer. And, uh, boy, I tell you, Helen Hunt looks fantastic. I always have appreciated her work. Dennis Quaid and uh, Carrie Underwood in her screen debut. Uh, what an incredibly strong cast. Uh, anything's going to be good when you have Kevin Sorbo in it. He, he's, he's an underrated actor, I really think so. Oh, yeah. i always enjoyed his work. Very underrated. Soulsurferwave.com. Soulsurferwave.com. You can uh, plug into this, uh, get the book, get the material, maybe uh, use it as a ministry thing in your church or something like that, take people to it. I don't know, whatever. It's going to be a pretty amazing flick. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, short break on the show. And when we come back, we are going to chat with Jason McCoy. He is a Juno-nominated country recording artist and another guy with a great personality. We're going to have a lot of fun with Jason McCoy. Stay with us.
1: It's hard to find quality guest speakers these days. If they're interesting, they're usually expensive. And if they're cheap, they're usually boring. Well, here's someone who's both expensive and boring. Drew Marshall is a high school dropout who tried to become a pro football player but didn't make it. He then tried to become a firefighter and didn't make it. Now he's trying to become a stand-up comic. (laughs) Good luck with that, Mr. Marshall. But if you're looking for someone who's unpredictable, incredibly honest, provocative, genuine, then we've got the right guy. Everyone seems to be an expert on something these days. Why not book someone who's an expert on nothing? except how to be brutally honest about yourself and your faith. The book, Drew Marshall, is your guest speaker. Go to drewmarshall.ca.